11, 12, 13, 14, all of that is instructions on corporate worship, how folks are supposed to uh, interact together within a worship service. Last week we talked about the whole head covering thing, didn't necessarily apply to us for women. The, today the, the issue is communion. What's going on apparently is there's a split in the church between the rich and the poor. There are no church buildings, so church is held in people's homes. Most likely it's the homes of rich people because they have homes that are big enough to accommodate. And communion is centered around a full meal. When Jesus instituted uh, the Lord's Supper on the last night of his life, he did that around the Passover meal. So apparently that continued on. Even in Gentile um, congregations, you had a full meal and communion was kind of bookended the meal. And so in these homes, archaeologists have discovered the dining room could fit about 9 to 12 people. So average home, you get 9 to 12 people in a dining room, and there was a large atrium or courtyard where 30 to 50 more people um, could hang out. And what was going on is the rich were having a meal just with their friends in the dining room. It was a pretty extensive meal, and all the poor people were out in the courtyard. And then when it came time for communion, everybody got to share in the bread and the wine, but the actual meal part, the rich were eating and the poor just sat there and watched them. So it's brought division within the church, and that's what Paul is trying to address. So starting in verse 17, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So again, that's the issue is being set up. When they're getting together, the rich are going ahead and having a full meal. The poor are not included. And it's brought this division in the church. And it's the communion that they're celebrating. Paul's saying you're, you're missing it. You think you're participating in the Lord's Supper, but you're not. But Jesus died to reconcile, to unite, and you're celebrating that meal and it's bringing division. So what you think you're doing, you're not. You're not accomplishing your goal. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul's reminding them, not about these are the particular words, but he's saying the, the purpose when you get together to celebrate this meal is to remember and to proclaim. When you see the word remember in the Bible, it doesn't just mean mental activity. There's almost always some physical or tangible expression. So Passover, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. You're going to eat a lamb, and it's going to be cooked this way, and you're going to eat bitter herbs, and you're going to eat unleavened bread, and all of those um, dishes have significance. And then at some point in the meal, the youngest son is going to say to his dad, Dad, why are we eating this? And the dad's going to say, well, thanks for asking, son, and then tell him the story of the Passover. And the point of that whole meal was to tie this current generation of Israelites to the first generation that was called out of the Exodus, to say to them, this is a pivotal story in the formation of our national identity, and we want you to be a part of that. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is the same thing for us. 
that here's bread, here's wine, or here's juice. We say this is the body broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus poured out for you. These words proclaim what happened on that night. And then taking, eating that, those elements, we're reminded of what Jesus did. It's not just, again, mental activity. There's that physical participation in taking these elements that help to proclaim and to remind about Jesus' death. And Paul's saying that's the point. I don't know what y'all are doing, but that's the point of why we come together. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further direction. So I don't know where all of you come from. This paragraph has been used to really beat people up um, through time. One understanding, if you don't have a clean heart when you come to take communion, if you don't have... If you're not, if you've got sin in your life, then God's going to make you sick. And he might kill you. And that's not at all what's going on here, but that's, this passage has been used to teach that, to really make people fearful about coming forward to take communion because if there's something they forgot to confess or something that, for whatever reason, if there's anything going on, God's going to smite them for that. Not what's happening here. Again, the, the context You've got this division between rich and poor at this meal. And what Paul is saying is you do need to examine yourselves, not this deep introspection, how, what sins have I committed since the last time I took communion, but what are we doing here? How are we treating one another here? Jesus died to bring reconciliation. Jesus died to unify. And he, Ephesians 2 says he broke down this wall of hostility, and we're, we're keeping it up. That's what Paul's saying. You need to look at that. You need to look at the way y'all are treating one another in the midst of this corporate gathering. Y'all are treating one another poorly, and, the, and you're doing it to such a degree that you're just as liable for Jesus' death as the people who crucified him. That's how bad this is. They didn't, get his me- they didn't get him, and they didn't get his message, and so they killed him. You're doing the same thing. You're not following through on what he's come to to do. You're actually doing the opposite. He came to bring unity. You're bringing division. You're just as liable as they are for what he's done. So you need to examine yourself. Don't sin against the body of Jesus, it says, or the body of Christ, us. Don't sin against the unity of the church by continuing to have these private meals with the rich while the poor are just standing there on the outside, looking in, going hungry. You're undermining the message of Jesus, and you're bringing guilt upon yourself. And so because of that, you're being judged with a lowercase j. It's not a one-to-one correspondence. Uh, it's just, well, this person participated in the meal, and so, that, and so he got sick. What Paul's doing, we talked last week about revelation. Paul has this revelation from God. This church is in a bit of a crisis. If you look in um, chapter 7, verse 26, when Paul's talking about whether engaged couples should get married or not. He talks about this present 
crisis. And this most likely this is what he's referring to. The church physically is struggling. There are people who are getting sick and there are people who are dying. That's what falling asleep is just a euphemism for dying. And what uh, Paul is saying is I'm, I'm making this connection. I know what you're doing and I know what's happening and I'm going to draw the connection for you as the pastor of this church. This is God judging you. He's trying to get your attention so you'll stop doing this when you're taking communion. You think you're great. You guys are, you speak in tongues and you have these wild, exuberant worship services. You think everything is wonderful. I'm here to tell you it's not so good. And that's why you're in the physical condition that you're in. Again, it's not this one-to-one punishment for sin. That's not how God works. And this whole idea that, you know, this passage is about us cleaning ourselves up before we come to take communion, it's it's just wrong. We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus the first time, so why should you have to clean yourself up before you come the fifth time or the 25th time or the 250th time? You don't. That's not grace. Grace is you don't deserve it here. I'm going to give it to you. That's the cross. That's the gospel. It's all grace. It's not, hey, I can scrub the sin off of myself and therefore I'm now worthy to to take communion. If you're worthy, then it's not grace anymore. You've earned it. It's your reward. It's not how any of this works. So you don't need to see this paragraph as saying if you're going to come forward in 20 minutes and take communion that you better have confessed everything or you're going to get the flu when you walk out the door. It's not it at all. What you need to hear from this is This is all grace, and God cares a lot about the body and how the body interacts with the body. And he does not like divisions within the body. And those divisions do have consequences. It's not punishment. It's judgment meant to wake us up to what we're doing. God's judgments are his... uh, Hebrews 12 talks about discipline. You can kind of see those things as parallel. It's always... It's redemptive. He's trying to get our attention so he can draw us back to himself. And so the solution, he says right there, just be hospitable, easy. That's Romans 12, 13, just be hospitable. If you're hungry, eat at home. The point of y'all coming together is not to fill up. This isn't a buffet. When you get together, the point is to proclaim and remember. And if these, these private meals are getting in the way, stop it. Either have enough food for everybody or don't do it at all because it's undercutting the purpose of y'all getting together. So that's kind of what's going on there. I think just like with last week, there's not a direct application to us because this isn't what we do anymore. We don't have two rooms. We're all in here together. We're going to take communion in a few minutes and we're not going to check your W-2 and put the rich people in front and the poor people in back. We don't do that. If you're rich, you don't get a bigger chunk of bread. There's none of that for us. We don't we don't eat a full meal. We tried to do that if you were here back in December. We had that banquet and we did that where we ate a meal around communion, it was great. We just can't pull that off every week. And so there's a sense in which this doesn't necessarily apply to us one-to-one because I don't, it's different context. We don't do communion the same way. I would even say in a church our size, we don't have the, div- the division issues that you can see maybe in other, we're just too small. It's too small for us to do that. There's, there's no places to hide if you know, if you've got something with somebody, you pretty much need to clean it up because they're most like they're six inches from you. When we're here, we're just, we rotate or mingle too much 
for that type of thing to happen. However, I do think if you look at the body of Christ in Marietta, all of this applies. If you just take the downtown body of Christ, which to me it's us, there's a Hispanic church right over here at Marietta Lighting, Zion, then First Methodist Baptist Press, and St. James. If you just look at those churches, you absolutely see that division. We're divided along denominational lines. You're Presbyterian or you're Episcopal or you're um, Methodist. Or for us, we're non-denominational, which doesn't mean we're... That's a line as well. It doesn't mean that somehow we're all-inclusive because we're non-denominational. We have belief system too, and that can be used to keep people in or out, and we're divided racially just among those six or seven churches. You've got a black church, you've got a Hispanic church, and you've got five white churches. And that's just here within a couple of hundred yards of the square. And you could make a case, at least metaphorically, that the downtown body of Christ is sick and weak and dying in some ways because of that division. I, I, I would make a distinction between difference and division. I don't believe that we're going to all sit under the rainbow and sing kumbaya and not going to have any sign like I don't that's not it to me in heaven that's not now it's okay for us to have differences even doctrinal differences on things but there's a but division is different division weakens us difference doesn't necessarily do that it can actually be a source of strength if we continue to use those differences to push together in the same direction so a couple of things I would say about that we talk about areas of influence, the walls of the city, government, church, family, education, business, art, science, those different things. For some of you, your area is the church with a capital C. That's the thing for you. And I would say if that's your thing, you need to begin to pray for the body of Christ here in downtown Marietta that we would actually function as the body of Christ. That's a, that's a supernatural work that needs to be accomplished. There's some things practically, many of you have friends who don't go to church here, and that's wonderful. And I would say do things that are kingdom-oriented with people who don't go to church here. Some of y'all are involved in Marietta Work Matters. It's a monthly meeting of uh, men and women who are trying to integrate faith and work. And it was started by a guy from Stonebridge, and a guy from Apostles, and a guy from First Pres, and a guy from Grace on Tennessee Avenue, and a guy from Buckhead Church. That's a great picture of the body of Christ. That's big kingdom, little church. And that's what we want to do. Good citizens of the kingdom more than good members of our church. I don't care if you're a good member of Stonebridge nearly as much as I care if you're a good citizen in the kingdom of God. Some of you are foster adoption type people. Some of you are pro-life type people. There are, some of you are big into the schools. There's all kinds of different things that are kingdom-oriented that you can connect with other people in other churches to do that are wonderful for our community. And Jesus says that's how they're going to know that you're my disciples, your love for one another. Read John 17. His final prayer for his disciples is all about unity, and we don't have it. And uh, But for some of you, this is an area where you can step in pretty easy. You have a burden for that within our city. And I'd say just personally, for most of us, this relationships form based on commonality. We're friends with people like us because we have stuff in common. That's that. That's, there's no reason to try to deny that or to fight that. That's just reality. We're friends with people who are like us because we have stuff in common, so we have this foundation that we can build a relationship on. I had a class um, in seminary, and the, the professor said most people can only cross one significant boundary 
per relationship. So I'm a white middle class guy. So I can go black middle class. I can go Hispanic middle class. I can go rich white or I can go poor white. I can't go poor black. That's two boundaries. That's an economic and a racial boundary. And I'm, I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have enough in common with poor black to develop a true meaningful uh, relationship. I can with other guys. I can take one step outside of my race or I can take a step outside of my economic situation. I've got a chance because there's still enough that we, we're different, but we have enough in common that we can form a true relationship. And I would say for some of you, that might just be something for you to think about. This is, again, this area of unity is something that stirs in your heart when you look around at the churches, if you see how segregated we are. It might just within your own network, within your own sphere, are there people who are one step removed from you, one boundary that you would need to cross and begin to intentionally cultivate those relationships. Don't try to be a hero and find the person who's most different from you. It's not going to work. You're not going to be able to develop a true relationship. About 2% of the people in the church have what are called cross-cultural gifts. That's why most of us stay here, and very few of us go move overseas as long-term missionaries, because we would die. We don't have the gifts to connect with people in that way. And so... It, the same thing is true here. It takes that cross-cultural gift to relate to someone who's so different from you. And so my encouragement, again, if this is an area that really stirs in your heart, is then find somebody who's one step, will cross one boundary, it'll be difficult enough and will require enough intentionality, but we'll begin to see some of these things change in our city. Second, shift. It's kind of the corporate deal from this passage. The other thing I would say is the danger of routinization, developing a routine, doing processes without any connection to heart. That's what was happening to the Corinthians. They were doing the right, they were saying the right things. This is the body of Christ broken for you. They were, this is the blood of Jesus poured out for you. They were doing the bread. They were doing the juice. They were getting together, or the wine. They were getting together. But they, it was just, it was a ritual for them. There was no, they completely missed what God was saying. This is why I want you to do this. There's a, there's a heart disconnect them and the same thing can happen with us we can be disconnected from God's heart for why we're doing things then we get disconnected from our own heart and we just go into autopilot mode and we're not really engaged in what we're doing we're just we're going through the motions and you can see this happen spiritually and you can see it happen relationally spiritually the easiest thing is kind of the classic quiet time some of you do that you get up at the same time every day you go sit in the same chair and then you say the same prayer and then you open your Bible and you read whatever's next. And then you check it off and you go on with your day. And that's great. Like That's better than nothing, but it's autopilot. You don't really expect God to speak to you through the Bible. You'd be shocked if he did. You're just moving through what's next. You're not necessarily, even as you're praying, your mind is probably wandering to what's on Good Morning America, did the coffee pot start, do we have any, whatever. Your mind's already gone. You've said the same prayer so often you really don't even need to think about it. That's autopilot. That's a, you're, you're, that's a, a routinization. Your prayer has just become a ritual for you. Your heart is not engaged in that. And the same thing can happen relationally. Every Friday at 6 o'clock, I take her to Marietta Pizza, and we sit in this booth, and this is what I order, and this is what I eat, and this is what I talk about, and then we're done, and we check it off. We had our date this week. Yay! Or your kids, you put them to bed. Same time every night, 
They're going to read the story. You're thinking about how quick they can fall asleep so you don't miss your show that's coming on in a few minutes. All of those things can become just routine for us. We, we disconnect. First, we disconnect from God. What is your purpose here? Why do you want me to read the Bible? If you don't know, then don't read it. God, why do you want me to read the Bible? Why do you want me to pray? Why do you want me to forgive? How about that one? Do you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. There's no heart connection there. It's just a routine. It's a ritual. I'm saying the words because you're asking me to say the words. Ask him about those. We get disconnected from what his purpose is for things. Why you started going on dates in the first place. Or why you started the nighttime, bedtime, whatever routine in the first place. We get disconnected from the purpose. And then we disconnect our own hearts and we just wind up being zombies who are just kind of going through the motions with these things. And the issue there is it can lull us into a false sense of security, for lack of a better word. I'm not talking about whether you're going to heaven or hell, but it can lull us into a false sense of security in terms of where we are with people and where we are with the Lord. Because outwardly, we're, we're doing all the right things. But because we're not doing any of, of those things with heart, our heart is not engaged, there, there's no fruit there. And I think that's where the disconnect comes in. That's why Jesus, one of the reasons he was so hard on the religious leaders, they were doing all the right things, but the heart connection wasn't there. And so they were completely mistaken in terms of their standing with God. They were missing God completely. He says, you, you memorize the whole Bible. You love the Bible, but don't you realize it's telling you about me? You've completely missed the point of the scriptures. And the same thing can happen to us. We completely miss the point of, connecting relationally with the people who are most important with us, or we completely miss the point of serving or of giving, or you know, this is towards the end of Lent. Many of you are fasting, and at the beginning, you actually had to engage your heart in fasting. You had to think, you know what, I can't eat this. I can't order this. I can't just flip on the television or go to Facebook or whatever it was that you gave up. Now we're at the end for many of us. It's autopilot at this point. I'm not saying you should quit. But it's autopilot. It doesn't require any internal engagement from us in what we're doing. We're just going through the motions. And then we can check. Lent's done. Now it's back to business as usual. The issue is not feelings. The feelings are not the boss of you. And so it's not, well, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not. Because if I don't feel like doing it and I do it, then I'm fake. There's a, definitely a discipline element to following Jesus. We're not ruled by our feelings or if your feelings are moving in the right direction, use it. That's great motivation. But there are plenty of times you have to do what's right just because it's right, and your feelings aren't there. There's a difference between doing something out of obedience and discipline and being on autopilot, and you know the difference between those two things. There's a difference between discipline and being disengaged from a heart level, and that's what you want to avoid is this disengagement on a heart level with what you're doing with the Lord kind of spiritually, that whole umbrella, and what you're doing with people relationally. Once you begin to unplug that way, then it's a pretty quick slide toward hypocrisy, which is being two-faced. That original idea of hypocrisy is play-acting. It, it, was, it was a neutral word, and then it became negative. The connotations became negative, and it's two-faced, and that's, that's not where we want to get. And that two-faced thing happens when what's happening on the outside is not connected to what's going on on the inside. Proverbs says our hearts are the wellspring of life. And so if you're not living out of your heart when you're doing these things, then over time that does lead towards hypocrisy because your heart is moving in one direction 
even though your behavior and your, and your actions are leading in another. So just a couple of two basic, easy things that you can do when you find yourself in a routine. And I would say anything that you repeat, any behavior that is repeatable is in danger of becoming a routine. So anything you do more than once, it can become a routine. Many of you, um, we'll, we'll get to that. So a uh, couple of things. One, ask. Just ask God for to engage with you. Some of you are doing things just because I told you to do them or some other pastor told you to do them or your mom told you to do them or something like that. You don't understand the meaning underneath it. You just need to ask, God, why, why, do, why are we doing this? Why quiet times? Why prayer every morning? You already know they answered everything, so why am I praying again? You need to ask and figure that out. Why do I have to read the Bible that was written 3,000 years ago? What, what does it have to do with me? Why do I have to forgive them? Can't I just forget and move on? Why is service important? Why is it more blessed to give than receive? All of those things. If you don't understand God's purpose for what he's asking you to do, or what you're doing, then you're 100% set up for disengagement. So ask him what's going on here, and then ask him to engage with you. When the, the Bible is the easiest one to pick on, reading the Bible. When you open it, whenever you open it to read, ask him to speak to you. God, I need to hear something from you today. Show me something I'm missing about my life. Show me I'm something missing about your character. Encourage me. Something. I need to know that there is life in this book, that, you, that these words are alive. You said they're living and active. Well, prove it. Not in an arrogant way, but just you've got to speak to me through this thing. Expect him to meet you during those times. And the second thing, which is just really practical, is vary your routine. The best way to break a routine is to break the routine. Some of you uh, exercise, and you can get into a routine with that. You do the same exercises, the same weight, the same time, and you get it's not a challenge anymore. And so then what do you do? Every four to six weeks, you have to do something new. You shock your system or whatever you want to call it. And then you're sore as anything the next day because you've used different muscles, you've used them in a different way. It's the same thing needs to happen spiritually and relationally. Go to La Paris instead of Marietta Pizza next week. At, bring a question. Instead of just showing up and saying, how was your week, how was your week? Bring a question for your spouse. Do an icebreaker with your spouse. I don't care if you've been married for 25 years. Ask a question. Give it to her in advance so she can think about it. And talk about that. That might sound forced, but it will, it will force you to engage. You can't be on autopilot at that point. Do something different with your children. If you're in, on autopilot in your parenting, then do something else. It's spring break for many of you this week. Change your routine with your kids. Think about what do I want to do with them. Is there something I want to accomplish? Is there something I want to teach them? Is there... Try it. Worst thing that happens is it doesn't work. And it's not part of your routine, so you never have to do it again. It's easy. Ditch it. Same thing spiritually. If you always read a chapter of the Bible, don't read a chapter tomorrow. Read one verse. And then spend the rest of the time that you would spend reading just thinking about it. If you normally read a verse, read a whole book. Take a letter. Read Galatians all the way through, front to back tomorrow. It's a letter. You don't stop in the middle of letters that are written to you. Do Somebody sends you an email, you read from the beginning to the end. Do that with Galatians. It's a letter. Read the whole thing. It'll take you 15 minutes. It'll change your routine. If, you, if prayer for you is just it's boring, it's a rut, it's a routine, do something different. Pray while you're walking around instead of sitting there with your eyes closed. You have to keep your eyes open so you don't run into anything. But do that. It will change for you. 
just the, the act of having to concentrate that much, it will change prayer for you. Go a day and only pray for yourself. Go a day and only pray for somebody else. Pray while you're walking around your school or the square or your business or whatever. There's all kinds of things you can do to break your routine that will um, bring a new level of freshness to what you're doing. It's a, just tons of things you can do. Y'all, can, y'all are creative. Think of those things. Just don't be afraid to break out of a routine. If you find yourself kind of in that rut, you're, in, you're on autopilot. Not a lot of fruit. Ask God to get involved. Why am I doing this? Can you meet me here? And then change your routine and see what happens. Let's pray. We're going to close with communion, um, the way we take communion here. If you're helping with that, if you'd come forward. You'll come forward during this last song, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, then eat it. couple of things I want you thinking about. One, if uh, you're, if kind of the church with a capital C, if that's your thing, I want to encourage you after you take communion to kneel here on this front row. And I just want you to pray um, for the church, specifically the downtown body of Christ. Some of you come from those churches and you just need to pray um, God's blessing on each of those congregations. Next Sunday is a huge Sunday for all of these churches, but particularly these kind of traditional churches. It's a huge day for them, and we want to pray for God's blessing, God's spirit to be alive in those places, for God to unify us as a body. So for some of you, that's your thing, and you need to pray. Um, For others, you're in a rut, and I would say, let us pray for you. Break out of the rut of going back to your seat after you take communion and come forward. And let us pray that God would stir your heart, that he would bring fresh energy or passion or vision or whatever you need to kind of click from autopilot to being engaged on a heart level, whether that's spiritually or relationally. So God, I do want to pray for us that that would be it, that we would be people who live out of our hearts. God, that we would be fully engaged with you and we'd be fully engaged with others as we go through our day. There's nothing wrong with being with routine, but we don't want to be zombies. God, we want to make sure that there's purpose in what we're doing. And that uh, we're, we're living out of, the, out of our hearts, this place that you call the wellspring of life. So for any of us who maybe are um, just going through the motions, I pray you bring conviction there. And God, that you would renew our hearts. That Those songs about fire, kind of the picture for me is that you would ignite our hearts this morning. Our hearts that maybe have grown cold in some places. God, we do thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for his broken body and his poured out blood. And we thank you that that's for us, that the body was broken for Matt and that the blood of Jesus was shed for Lamar. It's personal. It's us. And God, we want to receive that this morning, this idea of remembering the crucifixion, not for the sake of being morbid, but for the sake of saying this is this is the doorway for us. This tore the veil. This removed the thing that separated it, us from you. It rolled our sin away and made it possible for us to live in relationship with you and with one another. So God, I pray as we take communion that it would not be a routine for us, but that it would be fresh this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand. Come forward as you will.